When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Jennifer Halloran, who's head of brand advertising community responsibility, and leads and acquisition for Mass Mutual Financial. Mass Mutual has been on a rebrand or restaging of their brand over the last 12 to 18 months under Jennifer's leadership. And so we talk a lot about that today, how that refresh has come about, what's the evolution, what have been all the complexities as a result. She also went through and hired a new agency of record, and we talk about the process she went through, as well as a number of campaigns and initiatives that they've launched over the last year. This is power packed with process tips, what's worked, what hasn't worked, and a great discussion about good creative. So enjoy the show today with Jennifer. Well, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Let's get started with your background and help us understand where did you start your career and were there any pivotal twists or turns or, or mentors along the way? Sure. I started, actually, my background in undergraduate was really completely unrelated to marketing. I was an economics and political science major, and then spent a few years in the membership marketing programs that were really with large lobbying nonprofit firms, and spent a lot of time working with customers and really understanding their perspective, went back to business school, and then came out of business school and moved to Digitas. 
and started on the advertising agency side as in the account role. I spent a number of years moving from Digitas to Hill Holiday and other large agencies in the Boston area and just really, really loved learning the business and working with different types of business, but definitely working with clients and relationships. And eventually got asked to move what we call client side and moved to Putnam Investments and was the lead in the marketing team there. So I've spent a number of years now in financial services in a marketing role on the other side, still managing a lot of agencies and really managing brand and marketing programs. I think that probably one of the most pivotal twists really for me, other than you know when I got to business school and I realized that you know, my interests and my passions were definitely much more in the marketing and the customer space was really when I think I was at the agency side, I always thought that my background would really be in consulting. And I thought agency work would be great because I'd work on a a myriad of different clients and learn a lot of different industries. But then I just found that I really wanted to learn something really well and focus on an industry where I thought I could really understand the behaviors and the customers and, and kind of get ingrained in something specific. And that was sort of my pivoting point away from working with multiple clients to really, you know, we used to, in the agency side, you wouldn't get paid really so much for the strategy and the thinking because they had business partners with our clients that did that. And that was frustrating for me. So I think that was my pivotal revelation to say, I really want to be on the business side to learn the business really well. Nice. Nice. So, and if we talk about a little bit about Mass Mutual, you were a little over a year after a brand refresh and Tell me about the process that you went through, you know, and where you are today in the evolution of that brand refresh. Yeah, it's been a real whirlwind, but very, very exciting. I started in October 2016 at Mass Mutual in October 1st, and my directive was to relaunch the brand and refresh it with a new strategy the following May. So I had about six months to onboard new agencies and really do a deep dive into understanding how to reposition the brand. It had been you know, we're a 167-year-old company and we really hadn't revisited the brand at all in any kind of a perspective to refresh it and put it into a contextual element in over seven or eight years. And that had only been because we changed the visual design of the logo because we had an acquisition. So it was a really, really interesting process and a really, really tight time frame. But it was soup to nuts. It was, you know, we really, I started with hiring a new agency of record and doing the due diligence to build the creative strategy and the positioning for the brand. And then I had another track that was really all the focus of the internal track because we had a new brand identity with a logo and a visual identity. So that meant seven internal massive work streams to convert everywhere the brand existed in Mass Mutual. And, you know, you can imagine with a field of 9,000 agents and multiple offices out in the field, physical identities, new guidelines, visual guidelines, 200 plus thousand pieces of print collateral, 91,000 website properties that had to be changed, customer communications, statement systems, everything down to the uniforms that the security guards wore and the different offices, um, business card designs. I mean, it was just an absolute overhaul of that. And we focused on making sure that by the May 15th deadline we had, we focused it down to the core critical customer touch points that we thought people would see. So that was all of the external brand messaging, new advertising, new positioning, all of the digital properties where people would connect with them, all of our physical properties. So that was 120 physical sites that had to have signage changed and flipped over. And, you know, we, we sort of made the short list to the top 125 pieces of print collateral that the field and our retirement teams were using and really dove into that and uh, still are working through it. I think from the brand positioning in the marketplace, it's been exciting. We've gone through multiple waves of creative in market with advertising and media and digital. And we've also evolved to almost complete all of the internal 
streams, just because of all the systems and platforms, we happily are almost completely converted internally now. And that was, you know, almost a year after we really got started. So it's been a long process, very, very much expedited um, in many ways, but really been amazing. Start to finish new guidelines, new governance structure, everything from a visual and tone and identity for the brand. Nice. And so you, you talked a, a lot about the complexity, the number of agents, et cetera. And I believe if I've got this right, that you sell through a network of advisors that are both mass mutual branded as well as independently branded. How do you govern the brand or how do you build and govern that brand given both an independent and a captive, if you will, sales channel? How did that complicate the transition? It's been interesting, I think, for sure. The brand had always, one of the challenges that I had coming to Mass Mutual was, which I actually found very exciting, was Mass Mutual is number one in whole life sales. And we've got an amazing presence in the industry, but we have very low awareness in general. And we're building a work stream now and a focus as a business to sell direct to consumers. And we launched in May 2017, our first direct term product, which you can get off of massmutual.com. So in the past, you know, my previous CMO before me, had the focus of building brand. But to your point, it was really from a distribution perspective, really just to sort of provide air cover for, you know, at that time it was 4,000 plus agents in the field and some of them carried the brand and some of them didn't. So it was a little bit of a different challenge. For me, I now need to build awareness to reach you know, 12 billion customers out there that are underserved without any financial protection products and also support the field, which has certainly, like you said, been a real challenge. You know, there's I think in many ways, we had not touched the governance or the guidelines in so many years that when I went out and redesigned everything and started to establish the policies and procedures for this, I got a lot of phone calls. <laughs> and I had a lot of agents that were really not happy saying, why can't I just get the logo? Why can't you just send me this now? You know, Why can't we get access to these things? This seems very strict. And I said, you know, don't confuse the fact that we had no guidelines with the fact that the new governance and guidelines are strict. We filed to protect this brand identity and I have to protect it. And so we've spent a lot of time, as we always do, working in subcommittees with our field teams and really figuring out what that relationship structure is. We had a very complicated arrangement with the field. On one end of the spectrum, we have what we call our brand ambassadors who fully represent themselves as mass mutual and use our identity. And the other end of the spectrum, we have, as you said, a lot of independent advisor firms who happen to be some of our largest producers that carry their own personal identity as their firm. And finding, simplifying that relationship to be consistent was really my main starting point. We broke it into three tiers as opposed to having multiple agreements with everybody out there. And we said, you're either a full brand ambassador, you're you know exclusively on your own. And if you're in the middle, we're going to create this relationship now where we're going to be consistent. We'll co-brand with you. We'll figure out how to establish that common identity with logos and naming. And then you just have to, we have to be consistent across all the channels with that. So some firms, if they want to co-brand with us, can't have different relationships with the logos and the visual identity and that type of work. So, and to be honest, we're still literally to this day working with legal and the field to come up with that middle ground recommendation, but we're close and including the field as much as possible in those conversations has been important because when you're building a brand architecture, it's really, you start with the foundation of what's the relationship between the two brands. And, you know, is a ma- are we a master brand to a local brand of advisors or are we just a manufacturer or are we just a distributor to them? And it's really complicated. So we just put the premise down saying, let's find a range here and let's, you know, 
I'm not putting the hammer down on them saying we have to show up first and we have to show up in a bigger logo size. I'm saying, let's find something that you feel represents how you present the relationship and be consistent. That's really my biggest challenge with that is to be consistent. That makes sense. That makes sense. So it's a, I mean, it's a tremendous effort that you've just described. (laughs) (laughs) Any tips or advice, you know, or takeaways you'd give your peers out there? Yeah, I think probably one of my most consistent pieces of advice, which I've learned is in the rebranding effort in general, is it really has to be driven by executive support. When you look at large companies that want to do this, especially when you have to deal with multiple layers of conversion in multiple relationships with the brand, as we do with a large field force, it's not unlike large car manufacturers or large pharmaceutical companies. You really have to have the support at the end of the day that when you hit the wall and you have these challenges, it's been a mandate from the board, from the executive leadership team that we're just going to figure it out. If nothing else, we still have to manage the conversations and the collaborative decisions, but it's not, the answer is not, I'm just not going to do it. And that's what really ultimately comes from having executive support. This initiative was board approved and we report back on it financial results every quarter. So this was a significant decision at the highest levels. And then start from the inside out. You have to work with the field and you have to work with employees and you have to really make sure that people understand what the brand means and find a good common ground where they feel that they were a part of the conversations. But again, you know, sort of hold your ground. When you think that, you know, you're looking at it from a global view. And I'll give an example. We had a lot of feedback on the business card design and letterhead, right? And this is like, I'm, I'm sorry, like, are you serious? Like, right. what, what are we talking about all this for? <laughs> and what it was is that when I talked to the agents in the field that would call me and say, I don't like the size of the font. I don't know why it has to be in the serif. It looks so different. You know, I'd say, I get that, that it looks different to you on a business card. But I'm building, you have to always have that perspective as you know, sort of the CMO or the head of the brand, it says, it's not just this one place in this one channel. I have to represent a global representation of how this is going to appear. So even though one person may not like it in a business card format, it works and I can't change it there just to make that person happy because then it doesn't fit when that customer who got the business card goes to the website and sees it appear differently, sees a TV ad and it's a different representation. You really have to stick to your guns to make those difficult decision points because you're the owner of a really, I mean, we're fortunate in our company. This is a big brand. We show up in a lot of places and a lot of channels in a lot of pieces of print, digital, TV, you know, the messaging. So even though I have one advisor in the field who's a huge part of the brand and our customer relationship that doesn't like it, I can't just change it in one place because I have to represent how it appears everywhere across all the touch points. And it's not always easy to describe to somebody who's really close to individual customers way out in the field somewhere who really wants it to be a different way because they like it better. It's mm, a good point. Good point. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit because you mentioned hiring an agency of record early on in the process when you joined. And I know from a prior conversation, you used an unusual search process. And yeah. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that process you went through. Yeah, it was great. I think all of my years in working in the agency side was has always been an advantage for me to think about not only the relationship with your agencies, but also how you build that relationship and how do you find an agency. So I think, you know, by default, I didn't have a whole lot of time. <laughs> so <laughs> I caveat that. But on the other hand, I worked with a woman who had been a partner with some of us here in the logo design development, Lindsay Slabby, who was with Sunday Dinner in, in New York. And she's just amazing. She works as a consultant in a lot of ways with agencies and firms. And she and I sat down and I said, 
let's build this list, but I'm not going through a traditional pitch process. I think there's so much inefficiencies in making agencies go out and struggle and spend money and time and teams to build ideas around a big idea or a big pitch when I don't even know what the strategy and the positioning for the brand should be. And that's where we have to start. And I don't want a TV spot in a pitch because we need much more than that. And I want to build a relationship with an agency that's more than the production value of a big idea. So we went at it very differently. We built a short, we sat down and went through a large list of agencies that we could think through and, and what was important to me and what how I wanted to work with the brands and, and other agencies. And then we narrowed it down to a short list and we prepared a lot of documents to the agencies about the business. So I basically, my team wrote this massive creative brief with a ton of business background and context. And I clarified with them what I was looking for in the agencies and what I was looking for to do with this brand in what I what somebody could help me with. So it wasn't just show me a great TV pitch, but here's where I want to go with this brand. And here's what I have to redo. And we vetted that through a lot of agencies. Lindsay managed the search. We got it down to a short list. And then we met in one-on-one sessions with a handful of agencies. And it was a broad range. You know, I mean, we went from really small boutique, unique ones to larger ones, you know, bigger brand representation agencies and just spent a day, you know, a day or so with a couple of them. And they came back to me with presentations that I think were more focused on a challenge that I was trying to achieve. You know, certainly they all send you pitch reels. I could see their work. I knew what they were doing. And then you sort of put it in the context of what I was looking for, but I didn't make them guess. I gave them as much information as I knew about what we were doing in our business and the environment. And we just really made it about ideas and vision and capabilities, resources, and people. Because at the end of the day, that's really where you're going to go with this partnership. And I really do to this day, we, we split it between two agencies. We picked up a roster uh, model with an agency of record for the creative lead, which is Johannes Leonardo. And then we have an agency of record for all of the media, which is Giant Spoon. And they've been, you know, I always joke with them because I think we find, signed all the SOWs in maybe January or February. We'd already started the brand strategy work in January without a signed SOW. And we launched in May. And I, I say to them, we got married before we dated because we just <laughs> didn't have the time. <laughs> but I tell you, it was, we were all in it. And I think in some ways, that's really what made it better because we, the commitment that they had and the heart and the passion that they gave to build and launch this brand in such a tight time frame was just amazing. And it we moved quickly. We made fast decisions. We worked together. I had a very small team. And in the end, ultimately, in the last two or three months, since I was really trying to transition a lot of the people that were in my team that I had inherited here, it was really me and the agencies, you know, literally signing off on proofs and looking at cuts and going on TV shoots. And, and it was amazing. I think some ways throwing ourselves together so tightly in the beginning and really making it about the relationship and the passion for what we were going to build has been invaluable to me. I like that. I like that. I want to go just a little bit deeper in the process. You, you had this large, long list, you narrowed that down, and you prepared lots of context in a brief, a huge brief document. What were like some of the interactions specifically? Like, do you, I don't know if you remember at this point, but lots happened since then. You know, what were the first, how did you meet each of the first of the shortlist teams, maybe? Yeah, it was interesting. Lindsay coordinated a lot of it. So working with somebody as a partner, having that sort of, sort of third party partner was really important because it kept me out of a lot of the personal context type of relations. And it kept me as really as on the other side from a business perspective. So we spent hours, you know, two to three hour sessions sitting in conference rooms in New York, working with Lindsay in our office there and going through work agencies, reels. You know, I had a lot of other challenges. It was the end of the year. 
a lot of, that's a very common time for agencies to be pitching or repitching. I lost a few people that I thought were great candidates because of industry restrictions they already had. It would have been a conflict of interest. They were already representing other companies in our space. And I lost a few agencies that I wanted to look at because they were just, they were pitching other things and, and probably competitors of mine. And because, you know, MetLife and Bright House had just launched after us and a number of people, we were all, there were a number of my key competitors who were all on the market at the same time, which I knew about. But we spent a lot of time narrowing that list down. And we just lined up, it, I mean, one day, I think I met five, four or five different agencies. And we went into two and a half, two to two and a half hour meetings. And we just went from one to the next to the next. I did narrow the search ultimately down to some degree to New York. I'm based in Boston, but I know the Boston-based agencies are had either other competitors or were one of our previous agencies. So I really wanted to get out of this market. I did want to extend Northeast. I did want to look in Atlanta. I had a couple other agencies that we would have considered that had basically LA West Coast agencies, but they all have New York-based agencies. And we have a big team in New York at Mass Mutual. So that area felt good to me. And that was an advantage too. If you sort of narrowed down the geographic area for the search, it made it a lot easier. And we just went into these meetings and you know walked into the big conference room, sat down and introduced ourselves. And we sort of set it up, you know, set it up by saying, look, you know a lot about us. Tell us how you would help with these three challenges that I have. And they were succinct presentations, but they were very good. And we tried to focus a lot of the conversation, or at least leave a lot of the end time of the conversation around the personalities of the people in the room. Because I really think that your agency is an extension of your business team. They're part of my team. If I can't get anything done without them, they're not a vendor. They're not somebody that you can call up and yell at and be tough on. They're part of my team. I treat them like my team. So the personality fit was really important to me. And so we we certainly, and I would say that a lot of times when you go into traditional pitches, you see all the A-team, you see all this great creative work, but the people that you really spend the majority of your time with are the day-to-day account people and making sure that you feel good about that team, as well as just this amazing creative team, I think is really important too. So we reserved a lot of the conversation that we had with each other just around each other, which I think was important to fit. I mean, it's, it's, you're hiring, it's like hiring somebody that's going to work for you every day in your office. You know, well, how do you interview those people is how I was looking at it. Got it. Got it. And did they, did they end up showing creative work towards the end of the process or? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. We tweet, they didn't come up with any, a lot, a few of them actually came up with some conceptual direction for what they would do with Mass Mutual's brand. And some of them showed me some really good examples of work that they did in a space that they felt was the same or similar. One of the things that I really ultimately liked about the decision with Johannes Leonardo was they're very, very customer focused. They start with that. They spend a lot of time really diving into the customer and understanding the environment, like what's giving the pulse. And I think the work with Adidas or Adidas, as they always correct me, <laughs> the work that they've done with Adidas is really, is really amazing. It's very different from anything that we would do. And it makes a really strong connection with a very cultural, important group of customers that are, can be very hard to reach. And that was really, really appealing to me. Their agency team and the team that was there and the president of Johannes Leonardo just came from Drogo5 and he ran the Prudential account. So there was a good sense of industry experience for me. And there was a good sense of really looking at something in a different way. And I think that getting somebody with very different industry experience outside of the financial services industry was important to me because I think that's really where we learn the most about how to be different in the category. When you find people that stand out no matter where they are, but even sometimes outside of your category. And I liked the way that they did that. And so they showed me some of their existing work it really just represented how they can think about a customer, which I think was really what I was trying to get at because my challenge to all the agencies and my direction with the brand was, I don't want people to think of us as, I want us, them to see the work and say, wow, I never 
would have thought that came from a financial services company because I've been in it for so long. We did the green line at Fidelity forever. You know, we, I've been in this trench of financial services and how they approach customers. And I, I really wanted to look at it differently from how a lot of us in the industry do it. And that's the work they showed me. They showed me how they looked at customers differently for their clients. And that was really impressive. That's a good, that's a good example. Any advice you'd give other people going through an agency search? Yeah. Give yourself some more time than I did. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I made the wrong decision, but definitely I don't want people to think this could be done in uh, three months or two months or whatever it was. I think doing your work up front and really knowing you're going to make it a short list of what's important and what you want them to do. Don't get caught up in just seeing great creative because remember, you have to work with the whole team there and do the homework on your own about what you like. I think one of the things that helped me is I went in there with the, when I sat down and looked at these agencies and talked to Lindsay, I I brought in pieces of work that I thought were great. It weren't within my industry, but I just really thought were, you know, really great work. And when you can give an agency an example of what you think is good and why you think it's good, I think they get better direction in understanding whether they can relate and do that kind of work for you or not. So give examples and give them the information that they need. Don't make them guess about what you do. It saves so much more time and so much more money. And it's just the current pitch process seems so inefficient because you never really get a good feeling and you didn't give them enough chance to really get a good feeling of who you are and spend the time to get to know the team in, in any way or context that you can. But go with your gut on, on what you know is going to be important. You know, I, I didn't want to go to a really small agency because I knew we were going to need scale and relationships. I needed an agency that was going to be able to get me amazing directors from wherever they are across the country and not just work with some of the newer talent. You know, I mean, I, you need to make sure that there's a backbone behind the agency and there's good relationships and there's good reputation in the context there because they're going to have to pull for you and they're going to have to come back with you with some, some really good things. And that's not a ding on using small agencies. I think those people still have those capabilities as well. Just make sure you, you've got a backbone behind it. Everybody says they're going to get stuff done in a really good time frame, but we rush through a lot of things and which, you know, whether we like it or not, and you're going to want to have that backbone behind you to, um, Cause they're your team, you know, you got to trust they're going to be able to pull it off. Got it. So uh, kind of moving on, you, you launched with an agency, you've done a number of interesting activations and campaigns in the last year. I'd love to dive into a couple of them. And the first one I'd like to start with is the New York city marathon. Yeah. And you know, can you tell, describe what you did and how it played out? Yeah, it was really cool. We finally landed on a brand positioning and the strategy for Live Mutual. The agency, the media teams in the agency had put together this big you know, deck kind of behind it on how we could play this out. And it was way back in March. And one of the examples they gave us was the New York Marathon. And at the time it was, what if we just took over you know, the Brooklyn Bridge and we were whichever one it was with signage and all this sort of stuff. And we found there was something there because we... It informed later as we got through the summer, but what I was trying to do was find something that we could take to an engagement level at a local level so that we could scale it and engage our field if they wanted to and the agents in the area, but really get into a place where you could relate the brand with a large audience at a local level. And we didn't pay for a partnership or sponsorship with them, you know, painting our name on the finish line and having banners as an official sponsor wasn't necessarily getting us the engagement that we wanted. And we're in this phase now where we're still introducing ourselves, I believe, 
to people as a new brand. So it was more, we really had to make it a little bit more personal and connecting. The marathon was important to us because I think it fits very well with our brand. Pick something that works that you can actually say we have a purpose behind and, and is right. We're about health and we're about wellness and we care about this as a brand because we protect people with their health and insurance and everything else. So fit from a venue you know, it was the right thing. People like Red Bull picking over the X Games, that's an appropriate place for them. This was sort of that same mentality. How do we find something that we can connect with that makes sense for us to be there in general? And then we said, let's look at this differently. It's a mutual moment, which is fits in the brand for us. There's a lot of runners that work together to train and get into this session and this event and this activity. So there's certainly a lot around it that felt that it fit with the brand. But as we dove more into it, we said, what if we don't look at it the way people think? You look at it, it's not just about the runners, but look at all these people that come out to support them. Maybe the mutual moment is in the supporters because the research, we dove into the different marathons, large city marathons like New York, 70% of the runners are from out of town. They don't have their family and their friends there. And then there's millions of people that come out to watch three runners that are local. But why can't we have them help while they're there and they're standing and they're waiting for their brother, their sister, their cousin? Maybe we should give them another person to root for that's there who doesn't have somebody in New York to root for them. So we sort of flipped it on the head and we said, let's do an adopt a runner program. So we surrounded it with content and influencers. We worked with the New York Times and Hello Society and some of their editorial teams. We collected a good group of influencers in the running community to help us sort of spread the word and build content around it. We ran three or four stories in the New York Times building up to the marathon that told stories of the runners not our program specifically. It was sponsored content by us. We had a woman that came from the West Coast who, oh, her life dream was to run a marathon. And then she found out she was pregnant partway through her training and she decided she was going to run it anyways. We had a runner from London who is just this amazing gentleman that that picks up on causes that are important to him and does it just for the good. So he was running New York for an organization that was local and close to him. And we found a runner, a woman who was running in the marathon from the Netherlands who had been through a lot of relationship, physical abuse. She had a son that was nine or 10 years old. She had never been away from him. And five years ago, her father finally got her out of a bad relationship and got her into running as therapy. So this was her opportunity to come to New York, run her first marathon. It was difficult on her. It was her first time away from her son, but she was very excited about it. So we connected those three people with these key running influencers and wrote these stories around them. And ran those in the New York Times. And then we had all these influencers. And I have to say, it still cracks me up to this day that one of our biggest influencers that was recruiting for us in this running community is actually a dog. He's this dog that runs with the same people. <laughs> I was like, they brought this to me and they're like, Here, our biggest numbers are coming through, you know, and they, they showed me the influencer. And I was like, is that a dog? And they were like, yes, everybody loves him. So, you know, and it worked. And then we made t-shirts for these running communities that said that they would get involved. We found local running communities that we wanted to sort of, we asked them to get involved. And it was funny because we were going to the ANA conference in early November. My team and I were there. And one of the people that is the sponsor of the New York Runners Association, who sponsors the whole marathon, reached out to us. And when we first saw the email, we were like, "Uh uh-oh. Here it comes. And we're like, we didn't do anything wrong. We're not representing official sponsorship. And she just reached out to us because she was like, look, we're, we're hearing about this, all these running communities. There's a buzz here. We did a tremendous amount of at-home digital guerrilla posters in the New York area, in the city to get people excited about it, to get them involved in the program because we needed everybody that was going to watch to adopt a runner. We built a really basic digital 
engagement mobile app that helped people connect with each other. I challenged our legal team like we've never been challenged before. They had never done anything like this. They were like, I don't know what kind of legal disclosure we put on it. So they actually went to dating sites to figure out how to make sure we were <laughs> doing the appropriate you know, privacy things. But it was fun and it was a challenge. And we, we just took it over. We took over the Javits with big ads and we got people recruited and running. And we had along the parade route, we found a school of children in Brooklyn we found a course, Bible course along the route. We found these groups of people around the route that we asked to come out and support us and wear our shirts and hang signs. And it was great. I mean, people just got really rallied around it. It was a really cool local activation. It was a very low cost way to get engaged and connect people to rely on each other, which is really ultimately part of the brand. There was no product sell. There was no product push. It really was a a way that we saw people around us every day could support each other and rely on each other, which is really the platform of Live Mutual. And we had a lot of fun with it. And we we learned a lot from it. We want to scale it. And we're now looking at hopefully trying to do something similar in another city at the end of this year and improve it and make it better and get the field more engaged. And it was just a, a really interesting program that, again, I got to tell you, we put it together in like less than two months. It was a fly, but I think with more time, we're going to build it out and make it better. And it really worked. It was, it was a lot of fun. That's great. It's a phenomenal program that you guys put together, your campaign that you put together, I guess I should say. A lot of moving parts, a lot of yeah. orchestration as well. You know, you hit on this topic or this this notion or ideal, I guess I should say, of mutual and what it means to be mutual. And I know you also did a campaign called Unsung. And I wondered, you know, if you could tell us a little bit about that as well, because, you know, it essentially highlighted, almost reflected on how bad 2017 was from you know, natural disasters. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Other things that were just going on in the, in the world. And I'd love just to hear you talk about it and, and what did it help you achieve? Yeah. You know, it was really amazing to me. I think with the New York Marathon, we found a way to connect with people on the ground and connect the brand with real people in a local area in a really big way around something that we believed we were supportive of and could have around passion around, which is health and fitness and, and the event. The, the Unsung really came from this idea that we had way back in the beginning when we were coming up with ideas around the brand positioning. You know, everybody does a year in review and they never always focus on, you sit there and watch TV from the last week of Christmas through the beginning of New Year's. And you follow everybody that died. You follow all of the natural disasters. They, they never highlight all of the good things that happened in a year. Right. I think last year in particular, 2017 being the first year of a new election year, when we were doing a lot of focus groups here at Mass Mutual in general, and our agencies were really following sort of what was going on. We had the ability to have just done a really deep dive into this as we rebuilt the brand strategy. 
getting a pulse on what's happening in the world around you and the culture around you is really important because we all come up with messages that we think are outstanding. But if they don't relate and they're not really authentic and timely, I think they just, they sit there, but they don't really resonate as deep as we think as you can. And what we were doing with this was saying, what if we showed people at the end of the year that a lot of really good things did happen? And what if we showed people, there are a lot of people around us that do really good things for people and rely on each other for no reason at all. They don't have to do it. So a little bit of it, it was meant to be positive and not to sort of say what a terrible year it was, but the idea was really, how do we get people to feel good about going into, you know, how do we get that last word in of the year and make people feel good about going into 2018 and show them that people act like what we believe the brand does and what we do every day. You know, we've been around for over 165 years. We keep our promise. We're privately owned. We're mutually owned. When you take a policy with us or any of our products, you own the product with us. You know, we all, the company was started with seven men in Springfield throwing money in a hat saying, I'll take care of you. Let's pull this together. And we promise we'll, we'll cover you if anything happens. And that's the essence of what we do every day. And we realize there are a lot of people around us that believe in that same idea and they do it the same way. So we scoured the news to find all of these stories and said, let's go out and find them and let's collect them. And let's sort of show people that this is every day. It happens around you. I had a lot of hesitation around the creative execution because I said a lot of people or brands are out there now saying real people, real actors. And I don't know. I still don't believe it, that they all are. So to be authentic, we really got to make sure that people understand that these aren't made up stories and made up actors. And that's where we worked by partnering the content behind it. And we went, we worked with the team with Turner and Great Big Story. So we had two creative teams working on telling the story. We captured all of these stories in this, in the unsung. We put this song behind it that we literally said, I think this is the essence of what we mean here. It really was like shooting live TV because these were real people. We would show up. We went on the road for over 10 plus days, traveled to four or five different cities, collected these stories, asked these people to help us. Then we had hooked up, stole up and had these big tent cards out there. We taught them to sing. We made them all sing. Like this was like, can we make this any more difficult? We've got live people. We can't give them, we're going to give them a little bit of wardrobe help, but we really can't give them wardrobe because it's not the same hired talent, hired wardrobe. Like we wanted them to feel comfortable and authentic. And then by the way, we're going to ask you to sing for us. So it was really, which was fun because the group that we, the story of the mosque that we shot in Houston, it was a church, a mosque and a local synagogue. And they were all great singers because they were church, they were all choir right. singers. So we, we nailed that one in Houston really well. But it was interesting. And I, I think what we really wanted to do was show people, but not just say that people do this every day, show them. They were stories that had to have been picked up in the news. And we had a lot of stories on the wall. And the good news was we had a lot of stories. And we went through a long list and I kept saying, but did these people change somebody's life? Did they really make an impact? Have they done something different that have changed something going forward? And we think that these, in the end, these stories really did. We used Great Big Story and the team there to go out after or simultaneously with our TV crew while we were shooting with Johannes Leonardo, they were shooting the deeper dive stories of these people. So we created the content around each of these stories into two minute, two plus minutes. And we put that on the website and we drove and we pushed it through social. So when you saw it on TV, from a visual perspective, we hope that you believed it was real because we used bylines and dates and such like that. But we also drove you to and promoted it through social so you could actually learn more about these stories and you got more involved in these people. And I think that really helped from the authenticity part of it too, to really kind of fulfill the 
the rest of the story. Again, this was not a product sell. This was a story where we said, we do this every day as a company. We do this with Mass Mutual's Foundation and the work that we do in the communities. And all these people are doing this every day. And we just wanted people to realize you can get up and do this too and just feel good going into 2018, that there was a lot more good out there to worry about in the middle of all like that negative year and review stories that were out. Got it. Got it. And you ultimately ended up putting this into a Super Bowl spot. How did that come about? Like, when did the decision go from, you know, oh, big story? Yeah. Little, little crazy here. We did a New Year's Eve event. We did a live TV shot. We flew all of the people that had participated in the stories into New York for New Year's Eve, which was amazing because some of these people had never even been on a plane in their lives. I was definitely nervous that they, you know, I said, just make sure somebody's with them the whole time so no one gets hurt. <laughs> and we celebrated them with a live TV shot. We took over CNN's last half, last half hour programming on New Year's Eve Live. And we shot this beautiful chorus, children's chorus, singing and appreciating them. And everybody was standing in the room after we finished it. I almost passed out. I don't, I completely, we actually did it, pulled it off. And they said, this is a Super Bowl spot. And I said, no way, I'll get fired. You know, I was like, you don't, that's, you know, there's so much perception around brands that just insert themselves out of nowhere into Super Bowl spots. And I was like, yeah, yeah, thanks. I appreciate the compliment, but no. And then as the Super Bowl got closer, I was watching a lot of the brands that were getting involved in the discussion around the Super Bowl. I started to say to myself, and I, I sort of was like, you know what? This might be a place for us from a reach perspective, from our personal audience perspective. We buy a lot of sports. I like live events. I like live sports. It's usually where people gather as families or people that are passionate and have a connection to the teams. The athletes are all relying on each other, you know, those kind of things. So the venue was certainly an appropriate place that I like to put us from a media buy perspective, but it was less than 10 days before the Super Bowl when <laughs> I started to see Budweiser and all these others. And the Budweiser spot that released actually has the song Stand By Me in it, which everybody thought was our song but our song is I'll Stand By You. And they came out with a spot that was so similar to the story we were telling. And I said, you know what? It wasn't just the Budweiser ad, but it was me watching all of these ads, these brands coming into the Super Bowl. But the message, it was very similar to ours around cause and hope, because I think people really want to tie themselves to a brand by engaging with them on a relationship, relative level before they talk about the product. And so I called our team media team and I was like, guys, we got to do something here. Like, what are we doing? And my first gut was, how do we amp up in social? And then within 24 hours later, we were flying through a deal that I said, we, I want to be in the programming, but I don't want to be in the programming in the middle of the Doritos and the Dilly Dilly ads, because right. those are, that's great creative, but that's also a different tone of creative. So we took over we went into the programming from the 6 to 6.30 hour. It was actually officially NBC Super Bowl programming. But by ad pub trade industries, we weren't in the actual game. But it felt like it was the right place for us because we were in right before the national anthem when they were honoring the veterans, when the teams were coming out on the field, when everybody was gathering all of their local Super Bowl together. Everybody come sit down. Let's watch the national anthem. Let's get ready for the game. It was the right place for us from a tone moment in the Super Bowl event. So I said, let's put ourselves there. We ran a two minute spot, which is unknown and unheard <laughs> of in Super Bowl programming because that's what we had. And it felt like it was the right place for us to be in that event. Mm -hmm. And we had the right message. I wouldn't have run it with our two ways launch ad. I wouldn't have run our active mutuality spot, which we just launched in May this year. We had the right message and I think it was the right time to share it. And we went with it. And amazingly enough, we got over $600,000 of earned media out of it. We had the CBS morning show, Today Show, 
with, you know, Gail sitting at the desk on Monday morning saying her favorite Super Bowl ad was Mass Mutual's ad. <laughs> it worked. We yeah. Everybody sort of said, wow, they thought we were part of all of the, because we were in the programming and people really resonated and we, it's just spiked. I mean, most of the unsung ads, when we dropped them in, in Tentpole, generated over 400% lift in traffic to our website immediately. And the Super Bowl was an amazing social spike. You know, we saw huge numbers in consideration and awareness right after um, almost all of the spots. And it's just been great to see us try to move this mentality around the brand, which was why it worked. But it was it was uh, not that beginning of the year plan media uh, idea. We were certainly not. It was one of those things that I went all the way up to our CEO and said, are you good with this? Like, I think this is the right thing to do, but you don't want to be that, you know, sort of that haphazard one-off brand that puts themselves in the Super Bowl and spends their entire budget for the year on it. That's not what we were doing. You know, we made a really smart buy. We made a really smart placement. I think we put ourselves where we belonged in that Super Bowl programming. And I think there's amazing brands that are there. And so it was, you know, I was nervous. I was like, I hope people get what we did here and they're okay with it. And I think for the most part, they did. Nice. Thanks. Well, I know you mentioned your latest work, Acts of Mutuality, which... I guess takes an everyday moment. I'm not jumping into a, a lake every day with my, <laughs> my, my relatives, but it, you know, it slows down that jump of a family is the one that sticks out in my mind. All these generations of women slowing them down as they jump into this. I think it's a, a lake or river or yeah. something. And you're defining each of them almost like individually and, and their personal acts of mutuality. You're stretching that notion, I guess, in, in various ways. And you know, how is that making it out? into the marketplace because we've talked about the experiential components from the New York City Marathon to TV spots in the biggest stage known, known in the North American hemisphere, I guess, or wherever, wherever we are with the Super Bowl. And so how are you taking the acts of mutuality into market? Yeah, it was really interesting. When I was hired, I told our CEO and my boss, who wrote, who's head of all of customer experience here, I said, a relaunch for a brand is, is not a campaign. We have to be out there in relaunch mode for 18 to 24 months. We have to be on we have an always on media buy mentality. We have, we're very different than what the previous CMO used to do in sort of how we got into market. And I also said that we really have to give ourselves the patience to introduce the brand as who we are. And that was what Live Mutual was. That's what the unsung was. People have to know who we are as a brand before they understand what we do. And then we saw such amazing numbers and consideration with the unsung and with some of the other work that we were doing that all of a sudden I was like, wait a second. Not everybody wants to know what it, what we are. Like, what do we do? Because we've got them to this level of consideration and engagement. They're coming to the website. They're trying to learn more about us. I think we hit the point faster than I thought we would where we should start talking about what we do because we've got people really interested and they are liking us as a brand. The awareness numbers, the familiarity, the consideration, all of those traditional metrics were going up. So we moved it a little bit ahead and I said to the agency, all right, let's connect the brand now with what we do and the product. And the strategy that they nailed, I thought was really amazing because I don't really know how we were going to get from this live mutual, care about each other, live, rely on each other positioning to transition that to a financial product. And the strategy around acts of mutuality came on the same premise by saying, these are people you care about. Here's a way you can show them. This is an act that you can do for them to, that they can rely on you where you can protect them. So it's a 529 plan as an act of mutuality. It's something you do for somebody to guarantee that you'll be able to get them to college. You know, I mean, it was, it's this really, it's taking it to that level. So what we did with the campaign acts of mutuality was how do we show people that? Because I think beyond the traditional metrics that we have to reach from a brand perspective and every big brand, not everyone, I should say, a lot of the brands don't have to worry about, you know, awareness, but we're in a position where you're all looking at the same type of metrics. 
to me, my challenge with us is the financial services category, especially things like life insurance and retirement programs, they're a low engagement, low contact product. You don't do that. You only buy them once every so many years, or once you buy it, you don't need to go back and rebuy it. If you're in a retirement services plan, stuff like that. So it's a very low engagement with the customer type of thing. So I think our biggest challenge is getting them to think about it when they're not necessarily thinking about it. How do I say somebody, you probably need this. And I think our industry focuses so much on life events. When you get married, you should buy this. When you have a child, you should buy this. But a lot of people in today's world are not. They're not getting married as young as they used to. They're getting remarried. They're having children without being married. Like, so how do we get that message in front of them? Axie Mutuality, we took a multi-generational story. And each one of those women represented a story of somebody that could be you. We have a single mom in there. We were, you know, now raising children by herself. You know, we had a young mom that was pregnant. We had a grandmother that had planned well to be able to bring all that her generations of just the girls up to the lake kind of thing. So we broke apart these stories to put them into ways that you could watch that and say, that's me. You know I mean? that I didn't even think about this. That could be me. We had a single aunt that could be taking care of that little girl that was, you know, the multi-generation of her little niece that was on the dock with all of them. And the, the dune shot that we shot with the dad who all of a sudden was married and was now had a, a, this beautiful little stepdaughter. You know, that's a situation where, you know, how many of them say, wow, that's going to be me in six or eight months. Like, how do we take real people, real situations today that are everywhere and make them think about it? And we slowed it down for a minute to tell the story so that hopefully you could see, wow, that's me. And then we tied it to the fact that you protect them every day. Let us take care of the financial protection acts, the things you do every day for them. Let us take care of the other ones. And that was the tie. And it's resonating well. I think it's worked really well with the connection with the field. It was the first time that we put a solid call to action to our website. Well, we always had a call to action to go to the website, but now we drive them to an advisor to find an advisor. It's helping support the field. It's helping us get really specific into the funnel on the website and getting people engaged in the conversations and the products and such like that. So it's doing well. I mean, I think it's got legs now and we just have to figure out How do we balance the brand messaging and when do we use the brand messaging versus the product messaging and how they work together? Again, you know, a year just into this new strategy and this new brand, these are the conversations we're having with the team and the agencies. And it's it's really interesting to see where we put both types of messages now that we've introduced something different. Cool. Well, it's great work. And I know we're a little short on time, so I want to switch gears if it's okay. It's worth a couple of questions at the end. I love getting to know the person behind all of this great work. (laughs) And so in that regard, there's a question I love to ask everyone that comes on, which is, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today, who you've become? I think a lot of what sort of makes me the way I am today is that, you know, I always people, my family and others always tell me that I'm I'm very positive and I really get passionate around things. And, you know, sometimes I've been told by people here at work that I have, you know, I'm very principle driven, which doesn't always mean a good thing. But I do think that when I worked at the agency, that was really in the sort of the foundation. I had this, when I was in business school, I I was sat in this class with this teacher who ran an ad agency in Boston and showed us the reels of the ads and the stories and the work he did. And I remember for the first time really being excited about being able to get close to customers around you, understand customers around you and influence their behavior. In a way, that's ultimately why when I was in the agency, I moved towards financial services and clients that had financial services and I had Prudential and some others. And when I was at Digitas as a client early on in American Express, and I sort of said, you know what? These are behaviors that people need to, that can make people better. They can make their lives better. You know, I think financial services sometimes gets this rap of being this, you know, big fund managers and lots of money and wealthy industry. But really at the end of the day, 
when we're trying to help customers on a day-to-day basis and the crisis in the country today is so much around debt, student loans, what people worry people the most is their finances. And if I can find a way to work with a company that can help people connect at that level and just make them feel better and more stable about something. And probably every single one of us worries about money at some point in life. We all do. And get them into that way. And I got where, you know, just to be able to work with a company that has this position, has a product that really can help people and to be able to you know, I just get really fired up about it and I get really passionate about it. And when we come up with great creative or we come up with a great idea, I love to push the agency and sort of say, yeah, but you know, what is this? And, and they, you know, the relationship that I've had with them in the past year is they come to me with a big idea. And I was like, guys, I love it. If you can make that happen, let's do it. And, you know, people here on my team are like, Jen, how are we going to shoot a live TV app <laughs> in New York city? And you know what? I look at them and I was like, that's not our problem. You know what I mean? It's the right thing to do. If we have the right message and we can make, you know, the creative is good. We're going to build this. I was like, these, that's why I have this great team in New York, these agencies. If they're willing to take that and push the envelope and go with it, I love the big idea. I love, as long as it's smart and the risk, you know, I'm probably a little bit more risky than some of the people on my team, but that's good. They, that's why we balance each other. Right. They call them, they're like, we're the voice of reason. But when you get excited about something, and you have the confidence that you know you've been doing this long enough to know when to pull, like, Recently, we're doing a big campaign right now around Pride Month. LGBTQ is a core part of our brand. We win awards for senior leadership and hiring and, and employees with LGBT qualifications and criteria, and, and we love it and we're passionate as a brand. We have business units here that support it. We're doing a big activation in San Francisco, Pride Day around it. And yesterday, the team came to me with a big group of influencers that we have put around it. Mm-hmm. And they said to me, we dug into some of these things. There could be some things here that might be a little bit of a problem. And you have to be willing to take the risk, but then also know when to draw the line and say, you know what, let's find a different way to do this. Because right. the idea of taking a hard position around something that could be controversial is what makes you stand out because you have the nerve to stand behind it, but don't go to a place where you're going to offend people or push people. And so sometimes I think, you know, being passionate about something is also being level-headed. You have to have the ability to step back and say, you know what, maybe this is, we could do this differently. We can get that same impact right. by doing something different. But I think it's really just my experience around finding is passion for influencing people around you and learning about people around you and then finding something that you think could make them better and being in an industry where you think you have a product that really can help people on a day-to-day basis, it just all connects. And, and I think that's how you can really have a passion around something or feel like you're part of something. And I think the fact that we also have such an amazing community responsibility program and that's the foundation and the president of the foundations on my team, he runs our community responsibility program. You know, that's my thing at the end of the week that when I hear, I check in with them and see what we're doing, it just makes you feel good that you go to work every day. You have to have those things in you to be passionate about what you do. Love it. I love it. So I got two quick questions at the end here. One is I think marketers tend to be students of the business, you know, looking at other brands or companies or causes. So I'd love to know who do you look at? You know, are you looking at noticing anybody you think we should take notice of? And then the the other aspect of it is, you know, what do you think the future is going to hold for marketing? Yeah. I always look at the brands that I think have the biggest challenge. And ironically, they tend to be the biggest brands because I think when you become so well-known, mm-hmm. it's really hard to reach that. You're looking at millions of customers, but you still need to move at 10%. That's a lot. And if you've already got so many people on board with you, how do you do that? So those brands really fascinate me. I think that when you look at brands like Walmart and Target that have that challenge and they're they're very seasonal, to be different and to compete against in that set with the Amazons and the Walmarts and the Targets, those two brands are so true and so consistent. 
to their customer and their messaging that they don't. And then I look at a brand like JCPenney that just has struggled for so long. Right. You know, are they a retail discounter? Then they didn't want to be the discounter. Then they decided to go back to it. The ones that stay true to it and have the biggest challenge because you know everybody thinks the ones with no awareness are the, are the hard ones. I actually think some of the large brands are the ones to keep people engaged and get them to move that needle mm-hmm. is amazing. I think fashion brands are fascinating to me. You look at brands like Burberry. Chanel, Ton, those are brands that were always based on a boutique store where people were going to come home and have a personal shopper and they were going to feel that they spent a lot of money on something that they bought personally and had personal attention. But I think that they've recreated a digital environment, which is how consumers want to buy now. That has been amazing. A challenge to the fashion brands. I follow that, especially in digital. I follow what they do there because I think they have, you know, Burberry did this amazing campaign when they launched a lipstick color where they sent love notes across the country. You could, I don't know if you remember the campaign, it was two to three years ago and they did it with Google and it was fascinating. You could pick a color of a lipstick, put it on the back of a letter and then email it and send somebody a kiss. (laughs) And it was just brilliant. Like it's just, how do you get these people engaged in a digital capacity in an industry that is so used to selling a premium product with a premium sales experience? That's amazing to me. And I just love by default the big ones. I mean, I think Apple always does amazing experience. I love Mercedes-Benz. Again, that's a large distributor network. It's a luxury brand. Their 2018 summer rescue ad I love. It's how do you take the summer sales event and put it to a different level? And I don't know if you've seen it. It's it's a couple oh, yeah. that buys a rescue dog and then takes it out in this beautiful car ride with this, you know, because it just they I love their snow date ad in 2016 that they ran with a middle school boy that was meeting the girl at the movie theater in a massive snowstorm. They yeah. just find stories to bring out what everybody already knows about Mercedes-Benz, but they bring out the reliability of the car to drive through the snow. They make an experience out of something that's personal. I think they do a beautiful job too. What do I think the future of marketing looks like? It's exciting. I mean, I going through the process right now of establishing brand governance and guidelines is so different, I think, today for anybody that's been in, in building brands forever. To me, the guidelines are set, but we have set up a governance council that will meet two to three times a year to revisit them. When you have so many different touch points and so much digital technology and new ways that people can engage with your brand, you can't just say there's four primary colors and the logo has to show up like this and never change that. Because you don't have a choice. You may not, that logo may not fit in a co-branded relationship in social on a mobile app. Like I think our challenge is so different now that we have to have enforcement of managing a brand reputation and visual design, but it's really challenging. And that's the excitement of it. I think security and regulations around the customer and media transparency. And, you know, again, we've got a lot to learn. You can't just sit back on what you buy. You have to be really clear and make sure you have full detail on what you're buying when you're buying media. And I think you really have to be fluid. I think you have to, you don't buy a media plan anymore that's set for the year. We call it a blueprint. And we, because when things change, who knew there was a royal wedding this year? In January, there was no engagement, right? We bought the Royal Wedding. That's a huge cultural event. That's exciting that people are going to be there. You can't set it in stone in the beginning of the year and say, you got it. You have to be close. We have to move with what's happening in our customers and culture and in technology and what's happening. And you got to stay on top of it. So it's exciting to me, but it's not the same old set it and you're done till next December. You have to stay on top of everything you're doing now, which is exciting. I love it. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure. I appreciate it. Thank you for asking me. Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. 
Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at Atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K.com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me, with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.